as she had neither slept on the boat from Southampton nor on the table of the YWCA, tears of pleasure came into her eyes as she took them. But while she dragged her heavy kit bag and her suitcase across the platform, another boy of a different spirit ran beside her. Mademoiselle, mademoiselle, wait a minute, he panted. Well, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? The war is over. She continued to drag the weighty sack behind her over the platform. She didn't know, howled the wicked boy. No one had told her. And in the train which carried her towards the dead of night, the taunt and the violets accompanied her. At half-past two in the morning, she reached the station of Bar-le-Duc. The rain rattled down through the broken roof as she crossed the lines of the platform on the further side, where, vaguely expecting to be met, she questioned civilians and military police. But the pall of death that hung over Bar stretched even to the station, where nobody knew anything, expected anything, cared anything except to hurry out and away into the rain. She, too, followed at last, leaving her bag and box in the corner of a deserted office and crossing the station yard, tramped out in the thick mud onto a bridge. The rain was falling in torrents, and crouching for a minute in a doorway, she made her bundles faster and buttoned up her coat. Roofs jutted above her, pavements sounded under her feet, the clock struck three nearby. If there was a hotel anywhere, there was no one to give information about it. The last train had emptied itself. The travelers had hurried off into the night, and not a foot rang upon the pavements. The rain ran in a stream down her cap and onto her face, down her sleeves and onto her hands. A light further up the street attracted her attention, and walking towards it, she found that it came from an open doorway above which she could make out the letters YMCA. She did not know with what complicated feelings she would come to regard these letters, with what gratitude, mixed with irritation, self-reproach, with greed. Climbing the steps, she looked inside. The hall of the building was paved with stone, and on a couple of dozen summer chairs of cane sat as many American officers, dozing in painful attitudes of unrest. By each ran a stream of water that trickled from his clothes, and the streams, joining each other, formed aimless rivers upon the floor. The eye of a captain opened. "'Come in, ma'am,' he said without moving. She wondered whether she should." The eye of a lieutenant opened. Come in, ma'am, he said, and rose. Take my chair. Could you tell me if there's any hotel? There's some sort of a shanty down the street. I'll take you. Further up the street, a faint light shone under a slit between two boards. There was no door near it, no keyhole or shutter. The American thundered at the boards with a tin of jam, which he took out of his pocket. The noise was monstrous in the blackness, but the town had heard noises more monstrous than that, and it lay in a barred and blind, unanswering stupor. God, said the American, 
quickly angered, and kicked the board till the slit grew larger. The light went out. Someone's coming round to the door, said Fanny, in time to prevent the destruction of the board. Higher up, the street bolts were being withdrawn, and a light fell upon the pavement. Who's there? creaked a voice. The American moved towards the light. The hotel is shut to Americans, said the voice. The devil it is, shouted the American. And why, then? Man killed here last night, said the voice briefly. Fanny moved towards the light and saw an old man with a shawl upon his shoulders who held a candle fixed in the neck of a bottle.